This is Story Institute Random Reverser Podcast, episode 28, Reflection and Knowledge. Welcome. I am John Murray III, your rambling verser for another episode of Poetry, Short Stories, and Writing Prompts. For those of you returning, welcome back. If you're just joining us, uh, uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, belief, imagination, um, some tarnished goods, uh, and, and, and where knowledge can lead you. As we begin our thoughts today, uh, we start as we have been with a couple quotes. These are from Immanuel Kant. I had therefore to remove knowledge in order to make room for belief. And the second one, happiness is not an ideal of reason, but of imagination. Sometimes knowledge is not all it's cracked up to be, so to speak, um, because it does it does prohibit us from from reaching a little bit further into more of our imagination, more of our belief structure. Uh, we know that something may or may not be true, and then it contradicts well, what, what our mind has created for us. And as writers, it, it's tough to, to kind of bridge that gap, to move our mind from what, what we would think is, is just the, uh, the world that we're trying to create from the world that we live in constantly. If you're a teller of, of true or uh, resembling true stories, it may not be that difficult for you to, to kind of stretch things uh, to fit a different context. But for those, uh, those of you who, who really are trying to reach a different, different plane, maybe you're writing science fiction or horror or you know, something, something in between, uh, this, this piece where we have to make room for, for belief and, and really take, take an ideal um, and move, move beyond our reasoning so that we can reach the, the heights of imagination that, uh, that many authors have, have brought in the past. Our poem of the week is from John Keats. He's actually one of my favorite uh, poets because what he does is, in his poems is actually pull out things that he's watching, he's observing, and things that he thinks uh, transcend uh, the, the the world that that he's he's living in. Uh, and, and many of uh, and that time frame actually was was about eighteen the hundreds, the early eighteen hundreds. In fact, uh, the poem today is "Ode on a Grecian Urn." And and that was was roughly written in about 1819. And this particular poem actually contains two of probably the most discussed lines in Keats' poetry. Beauty is truth, truth beauty. And the second line is, that is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. The exact meaning of, of that line is actually a little bit more disputed amongst critics, but that's really not not the purpose of, of this discussion or podcast. Well, We'd like to do is is bring out the poem itself, uh, read a few lines, read a few stanzas, and and let you decide on some writing prompts afterwards. So let's go ahead and get started. Ode on a Grecian Urn by John Keats. Thou still unvarnished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, Sylvan historian, who canst thus express a flowery tale more sweetly than our rhyme. What leaf-fringed legend haunt about thy shape, Of deities, or mortals, or of both? In Tepe or Dales of Arcadia, 
What men or gods are these? What maidens loth? What mad pursuit? What struggle to escape? What pipes and timbrels? What wild ecstasy? Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. Therefore, ye soft pipes play on, not to the sensual ear, but more endeared, pipe to the spirit deities of no tone. Fair youth, beneath the trees, thou canst not leave thy song, nor ever can those trees be bare. Bold lover, never, never canst thou kiss, though winning near the goal, yet do not grieve. She cannot fade, though thou hast not thy bliss, Forever wilt thou love, and she be fair. Ah, happy, happy bows, that cannot shed your leaves, nor ever bid the spring adieu, and happy melodist unwearied, forever piping songs, forever new. More happy love, more happy, happy love, forever warm and still to be enjoyed, forever panting and forever young. All breathing human passion far above that leaves a heart high sorrowful and cloud, a burning forehead and a parching tongue. Who are these coming to the sacrifice? To what green altar, O mysterious priest, leadest thou that heifer lowing at the skies, and all her silken flanks with gardens dressed? What little town by river or seashore or mountain built with peaceful citadel is emptied of this folk, this pious morn, in little town thy secrets forevermore will be silent, and not a soul to tell. Why thou art desolate, can e'er return, O attic's shape, fair attitude, with breed of marble men and maidens overwrought, with forest branches and a trodden weed, thou silent form dost tease us out of thought, as doth eternity, cold pastoral. When old age shall this generation waste, Thou shalt remain in mist of other woe, That ours, a friend to man, to whom thou sayest, Beauty is truth, truth, beauty, That is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. So, here I picture Keats just looking at this large cauldron of, of, of painting, with paintings on it, and, and he's seeing all these pictures. But he's pulling out the best parts, and, and he's saying, you know, after, after we all have kind of just given up on, on, on life in general and our bodies have just wasted away and the youth just really don't get it anyway, you're going to still be here. Because this urn, this Grecian urn, has, has stood for this test of time and, and has outlasted the people that made it. Keats doesn't stop with with just saying, uh, yeah, you know what, there's a container out there and it has these great pictures on it. Somebody should go and see it. He wants to bring the painting to life and the, the visions on the urn to life so that if somebody reads his poem, they can feel the same connection to those visions as he has by looking at the urn. So the writing prompt for the poem of the week is, is really think about what is your Grecian urn? What will stand the test of time and outlive its creator? Is it a building? Is it someone's legacy? Is, is, it, is it an actor or actress and, and their body of work? Is it your own writing? Choose your connection to Keats' passion and vision and build a poem uh, that will last as long as this symbolic piece. Bring your Grecian urn to life. The short story we want to talk about this week is called The Bet by Anton Chekhov. 
In this story, a lawyer and a banker agreed to about a $2 million bet uh, where the lawyer would spend 15 years in solitary confinement. Uh, while the banker uh, remained uh, concerned primarily about the money, the lawyer eventually relinquishes the bet, uh, saying that he's found true meaning of life and that money really wasn't significant uh, to him, especially during his confinement. Chekhov demonstrates this, this power of, of belief and capacity for learning. Uh, it exists within the individual and isn't something that can happen to everyone. Uh, sometimes that power, that knowledge that we have can be great when it comes to epiphanies and connecting to, to that imagination, to that level of belief. But we have to actually pursue it to get there. And without the stimulus, so this bet that, that the, the banker made the lawyer, without that, he may have missed some opportunities to realize that you know money isn't everything, but it also is something that, that could stimulate us to, to gain more knowledge and more belief. Let's take a look at, at a, few of, a few of the paragraphs here at the beginning of the bet. It was a dark autumn night. The old banker was walking up and down his study and remembering how, 15 years before, he had given a party one autumn evening. There had been many clever men there, and there had been interesting conversations. Among other things, they had talked about capital punishment. The majority of the guests, among whom were many journalists and intellectual men, disapproved of the death penalty. They considered that form of punishment out of date, immoral, and unsuitable for Christian states. In the opinion of some of them, the death penalty ought to be replaced everywhere by imprisonment for life. I don't agree with you, said their host, the banker. I have not tried either the death penalty or imprisonment for life, but if one may judge a priori, the death penalty is more moral and more humane than imprisonment for life. Capital punishment kills a man at once, but lifelong imprisonment kills him slowly. Which executioner is more humane? He who kills you in a few minutes, or he who drags the life out of you in a course of many years? Both are equally immoral, observed one of the guests, for they have the same object, to take away life. The state is not God. It has not the right to take away what it cannot restore when it wants to. Among the guests was a young lawyer, a man of five and twenty. When he was asked his opinion, he said, The death sentence and the life sentence are equally immoral. But if I had to choose between the death penalty and imprisonment for life, I would certainly choose the second. To live anyhow is better than not at all. A lively discussion arose. The banker, who was younger and more nervous in those days, was suddenly carried away by excitement. He struck the table with his fist and shouted at the young man, It is not true. I'll bet you two million you wouldn't stay in solitary confinement for five years. If you mean that in earnest, said the young man, I'll take the bet. But I would stay not five, but fifteen years. Fifteen? Done, cried the banker. Gentlemen, I stake two million. Agreed. You stake your millions and I stake my freedom, said the young man. Okay, two million at the time Chekhov wrote this uh, was quite a bit of money, but even today it, it's it's a substantial sum. But would you choose to lose fifteen years of your life for two million dollars? Uh, I know quite a few people that that probably would. But how much? How much would you go to to kind of take a look at your belief and push it? And I think at times as writers we don't take that risk. We, we choose other paths. We, we choose some of the easiest, easiest ways to get things done. And sometimes we don't really believe 
that we can write that bestseller. We can write uh, what our imagination is telling us, and we take the easy way out. We actually go down the path of uh, of choosing death, and death is not necessarily for us, but for our characters, the characters that may not have been born yet because we didn't have time to write it down. Now, obviously, this is uh, this is a little bit different, but but really. Think about it as a writer. How much, how much are you willing to bet on the belief that your storyline, your path that you're creating for your characters is good enough to bring them to life? Because what you're doing is you're really saying, eh, you know what, I'm going to choose death for him because it wasn't good enough. So let's take a look at what the prisoner did, what the lawyer did uh, in his years of confinement, and, and try to connect back to, to how you relate to your own writing. For the first year of his confinement, as far as one could judge from his brief notes, the prisoner suffered severely from loneliness and depression. The sounds of the piano could be heard continually, day and night, from his lodge. He refused wine and tobacco. Wine, he wrote, excites the desires, and desires are the worst of the foes of the prisoner. And besides, nothing can be more dreary than drinking good wine and seeing no one. And tobacco spoiled the air of his room. In the first year, the books he sent for were principally of light character, novels with a complicated love plot, sensational and fantastic stories, and so on. In the second year, the piano was silent in the lodge, and the prisoner asked only for the classics. In the fifth year, music was audible again, and the prisoner asked for wine. Those who watched him through the window said that all, all year he spent doing nothing but eating and drinking and lying on his bed, frequently yawning and angrily talking to himself. He did not read books. Sometimes at night, he would sit down to write. He would spend hours writing, and in the morning, tear up all he had written. More than once, he could be heard crying. In the second half of the sixth year, the prisoner began zealously studying languages, philosophy, and history. He threw himself eagerly into these studies, so much so that the banker had enough to do to get him the books he ordered. In the course of four years, some 600 volumes were produced at his request. It was during this period that the banker received the following letter from the prisoner. My dear jailer, I write you these lines in six languages. Show them to the people who know the languages. Let them read them. If they find not one mistake, I implore you to fire a shot in the garden. That shot will show me that my efforts have not been thrown away. The geniuses of all ages and of all lands speak different languages, but the same flame burns in them all. Oh, if you only knew what unearthly happiness my soul feels now from being able to understand them. The prisoner's desires were fulfilled. The banker had ordered two shots to be fired in the garden. So we all don't have the time as writers to spend uh, literally investigating all of the opportunities our characters have to grow and develop. But at some point, we have to decide what we sacrifice to write and what we sacrifice not to write. Uh, in, in the case of, the, of the, the lawyer, the prisoner in this case, um, he is sacrificing quite a bit. He's, he's willing to do these things for the two million, but he's also learning a little, a little bit more about himself. And that's kind of what we see as writers, is that the more we spend with our inner selves, that imagination, and we kind of let go of the reasoning... We truly open ourselves up to better stories and better character development if we just spend the time with those characters ourselves. During this process, uh, we may end up like the banker um, or we may end up like the lawyer. Uh, 
if we end up like the lawyer, there are going to be some who who believe us to, to be poor creatures, um, whether we're, we're in their presence or not. Um, but it's a matter of pursuing what that belief is, what where that truth lies, that uh, that we come to a deeper connection with uh, with what our craft needs to be. And while I'm not quite sure Chekhov was going for for this connection as a writer, uh, this is where I see some of of my struggle. Is if I have treated my characters, my storylines, as a prisoner and don't let them out. Uh, again, it's probably going to a little extreme, but but. Really, the short story writing prompt for this week is, is what are you locking up? And connect it back to more of a real-life situation and see if, if you can bring them out. What, what truth is gained? Or uh, if you want to go this path, what if, what if the lawyer went the other way and instead of asking for $2 million, now asked for ten because uh, he, he more than doubled the uh, the time that the banker was willing to to have him sit in confinement uh, choose the path but but create this short story create this envisioning and maybe that short story will be a part of a bigger story uh, more of a novel for you well that sound kind of uh, symbolizes the end of of this uh, rambling episode um before we get into our short story topic for the week, we want to remind you that you can reach us at ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com. Visit us on storyinstitute.com or in our forums. Uh, give us a buzz at 615-431-RIT, that's 9748, or share a review with us on iTunes. This week's short story topic is gifts shared at a new home. Small feather creatures make their way into a new pond. In order to feel welcome, they bring a few gifts to their na- new neighbors. Each treasure is specially selected for each new friend. The ducks listen to each story and find out who represents each prize. Choose the gifts, choose the new friends, choose the location or view of the new lake. Connect each topic to a part that is important to your overall meaning and storyline. Connect each new friend to location itself and its history. In case you didn't see it in this brief context, this story should be geared toward children. So keep the word simple, keep the story focused, and remember to include a moral, a value, and a message with your story. Children learn uh, much through stories and rely on them to help create memories for their long-awaited future. Decide in the story and write. Post it at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere, but write and enjoy. Well, thank you for stopping by, and we hope to see you again here at Story Institute's Ram Inverser. But in the meantime, remember to imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.